with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about U.S. banking system downgraded in wake of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, and what's the next. And we will also take a look at China's job market. Now we begin with U.S. banking system. In the wake of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Moody's cut his outlook for the U.S. banking system to negative. A day before, President Joe Biden urged the public to continue to trust the sector. Our Owen Fatlow has the details. Silicon Valley Bank customers at the center of one of the biggest runs on deposits in history. Quite nerve-wracking. Met with reassuring words from federal regulators who've taken it over. So you will be able to transact business as usual. Your accounts are safe. Your online portals are active. You'll be able to wire and do business as usual. The U.S. government is giving the same protection to customers of the New York-based Signature Bank. This is something I did not expect. Both collapsed in recent days after customers worried about the bank's solvency began withdrawing their money by the billions until the government stepped in. To guarantee their deposits, the banking system is safe. President Biden trying to soothe financial markets after bank stocks plummeted amid fears SVB and Signature would create a domino effect. The U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, is also trying to calm the storm by setting up an emergency lending fund for any banks suffering liquidity problems, effectively backstopping the entire financial sector with its huge reserves. The Fed learned the lessons of the 2008 global financial disaster when it had to step in to save the entire banking sector with no real playbook. So this time it acted decisively to stop contagion spreading too fast and too quickly. But the collapse of these two banks now presents the Fed with a fresh headache over how to tackle the highest inflation for years. SVB collapsed partly because it made huge investments in long-term bonds and treasuries that typically rise in value when interest rates are low, as they had been for the best part of 15 years. But when inflation spiraled out of control, the Fed began raising that benchmark interest rate, that in turn influences the rate banks and other lenders offer. The value of those long-term bonds and treasuries dropped as interest rates rose, and quickly SVB found it was suffering huge losses. And then trying to cover those customer deposits, so this crisis stems in part from the Fed aggressively raising that benchmark interest rate over the past year or so to try to drive down inflation, leaving some banks brutally exposed. Owen Fairclough, CGTN, Washington. So, what happened to Silicon Valley Bank, and how will it affect the U.S. banking system, and what will be some of its international ramifications? For more on this, join us on the line now are Yan Liang, professor of economics, Willamette University, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Yan, first of all, tell us more about Silicon Valley collapse. It is one of the top twenty banks in the United States, but how does it collapse in such a Short time and how serious is it? Right. So the Silicon Valley Bank, the SVB, is the 16th largest bank in the United States.、Um, they had about 209 billion dollars of assets under their management. So what has happened is really a textbook class,、uh, a, a textbook classic case of a bank run. 
Um, so what happened was that some of the depositors um, of the SVB decided to withdraw some of their deposits. But like all the fractional banking, uh, the banks, they do not have all the deposits. Um, so they have invested some of the um, deposits in, you know, for example, treasuries. Um, so when they need to pay the depositors, they have to sell some of the, their treasuries. But as we know, the interest rate has been going up in the United States. And so as a result of that, the treasury's price has gone down. And so when they're selling uh, roughly, you know, 20, 21 billion dollars of treasuries, they made a loss about two billion dollars. Um, so as a result of that, I think that simply spooked um, these uh, depositors. So they're all coming to ask for the deposits back. And so that is a classic, you know, bank run situation where the bank simply can't come up with their deposit money. Um, so the FDIC had to come out and seize the bank. And so now I think we're still in the process of cleaning up the mess. Mm. And so, Ina, so global markets were volatile after the meltdown of the Silicon Valley Bank, the SVB, and the failure of the New York-based Signature Bank. So how do you see it? And do you see a sign of contagion in the financial market, especially when you see what is happening to Credit Suisse Bank this week? Well, Credit Suisse Bank is another story that since 2007, they have been mired almost in a yearly <laughs> series of scandals involving billions of dollars, uh, internal controls out, you know, uh, people spying on other people. Uh, that's a little bit different. But, you know, when you talk about uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you have to understand that it's not uh, – typical of all banks. What they were doing is they were offering 30 to 40 basis points uh, more than other banks So they uh, on deposits. So they were literally competing for deposits. And as a result, that put more pressure on them on their investing side. So they invested in long-term treasuries at a time when interest rates were very low because they were trying to get uh, maximize their value. But that's not the way you do it. I mean, the, if you're doing cash management, uh, cash management is all about short term. You shouldn't be in anything really that's less than uh, that's more than a year, two years max. Uh, and they were in, you know, uh, long terms, five, 10, 15 years. And that, that just didn't make sense. Um, so I think it was poor management on their side. Uh, remember, the uh, CEO was uh, <laughs> he was the CFO of Lehman Brothers in 2008 when it collapsed. Uh, so I, I'm sure that's just a coincidence. But there, there were other other warning signs there in terms of uh, they were try trying too hard to uh, please uh, a lot of these things. They also had some exposure to jumbos uh, in the American uh, mortgage market. Most uh, low-level mortgages are handled by uh, Fannie, Freddie, and all these groups. But when you have a, a bigger house or a larger loan, that's, that's a, called a jumbo, banks take them in, and they generally uh, securitize them. They put them all together into a big group, and then they sell them off in the market, and they can make the money. Uh, but there was a tendency, because of the rates were so low, to keep some of those mortgages. And in, especially in Silicon Valley, I'm sure there's some exposure because tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people have been laid off recently. And that means they're not going to make their mortgage payments very easily unless they have a lot of uh, safe funds. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things going on. But let's get back to your original question. Sorry, the long answer. Uh, this is an own goal by the Fed. They had loose money for many, many years, and then they suddenly tightened up and this squeezed the banks. Mm. Uh, and uh, the Silicon Valley situation is just an extreme example of that. But that's the worry right now in the market, that by 
going from one extreme to the other extreme. They've caught the banks in the middle, uh, and they 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 can't. They're going to have a problems meeting their equity cards. They've talked about stress testing and things like that, but the Fed has egg on its face. And you'll note, as we talked about, you'll note they have not made a statement, although Yellen and the White House have. It's because everyone's looking at them and saying, "Look, you mismanaged this thing."、Mm. So yeah, actually, what investors are asking is this: just the SVB and Signature Bank, and do other banks have the same problem? And are we expecting more defaults? I think that is really a trillion dollar question,、um, and I think that's a great question. So I agree with Ina that. These two banks definitely have their own mismanagement problems.、Um, they have very low liquidity. They're、um, in terms of their、uh, proportion of their assets in cash、um, for SVB that was about five percent. Sorry, seven percent, and for Signature Bank that was five percent. So the industrial average is fifteen percent. So they're really short in terms of their liquidity cushion. They manage very poorly、uh, in terms of their risk diversification. So these two banks went down for very particular reasons, but I think for other banks they also have, you know, definitely a lot of difficulties and challenges、uh, because of the interest rate hikes. You know, we should not forget that the Fed really had a very aggressive increases in the Fed funds rate.、Um, you know, an increase about 4.25 percentage points、um, since March last year. And so that really,、uh, you know, changed a lot of the prices of. Um, you know, treasuries and other fixed income instruments. So one stat that I think is alarming is that for the banking sector as a whole, they have now six hundred twenty billion dollars of unrealized losses、um, on their securities. So what that means is, if for some reason they have to sell their securities, they are going to suffer tremendous loss. So these unrealized losses will become actualized.、Um, so that could definitely you know damage the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in addition to that, I think another problem、um, that we also see is, you know, there has been increasing relaxation of banking regulations. So, I think a lot of the problems are hidden; they're opaque.、Um, so, we're yet to know,、um, you know, how many banks are in similar situations, and that's why I think it's so po- super important、um, for the FDIC and、um, other institutions. To in a way, quote unquote, bail out、um, these financial institutions in case of you know more bank runs and more problems down the road.、Mm. And so, Ina, we're keeping a close eye on whether these tremors will turn into earthquakes, perhaps for the、uh, U.S. banking sector. And Janet Yellen said that rising interest rates are the core problem for SVB. So. Are the Federal Reserve's most aggressive interest rate hikes in 40 years actually increasing the financial stability risks in the U.S.?、Uh, and the、uh, simple answer is yes. And、uh, as I said,、uh, right now、uh, Jerome Powell is under tremendous pressure.、Uh, everyone is pointing to him.、Uh, the difficulty is that if you know, in terms of managing the economy. Uh, really, the Fed's fund rate has been the go-to uh, weapon uh, to try to fight、uh, inflation and fine-tune the economy. But in this particular case,、uh, you know, as, as Yan put it, you know, these aggressive rate hikes、mm-hmm. have really caught a lot of these banks short. And what's happening, and where people should be paying attention, is small banks. Right now, money is flooding, is being withdrawn from these small banks, putting them under pressure. And it's going to larger banks, which people, you know, think, well, you know, the larger banks are are stress tested. 
uh, I have a better bet of uh, getting my money back if I put it there versus a smaller bank where I, I don't know exactly what their position are. As, as Ian pointed out, there's a certain amount of opaqueness there and uh, they, I, they don't want to take a risk. But what does that mean? It means that you could have a lot of small banks uh, collapsing uh, just the way SVB did uh, because they held long-term liabilities and uh, bonds and uh, uh, other debt instruments that were too long maturities. And Aina, so for the SVB event, what does it reflect for the banking regulations in the U.S.? Depends on who you talk to. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, uh, was the one who was calling for less uh, regulation of banks. Now he says the failure was due to uh, social uh, conditions that they were too, quote, woke, uh, and that that was the problem. People are laughing about it, but the, the fact is that you've You've had a, a, the business community saying that the banks need less regulation. And now, obviously, it's clear that with less regulation, these guys are, are you know, basically putting money at risk. Banks are not supposed to be risky entities. They're places where I go to keep my money safe, um, you know, as opposed to under my mattress. So when those come into question, it is a serious, serious matter for your entire financial industry. And this is why they, you know, over the weekend, Janet Yellen went from we're not bailing these guys out to, okay, we're going to pay off everybody. I mean, that gives you a a real clue how serious this was, because this is a violation of the protocols. The FDIC, which is Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, is there to take care of people who have shortfalls of up to 200. uh, They cover the first 250,000. They do not cover above that. And now they're violating their own rules to take money from that uh, account. But that account could be quickly be depleted if these small banks start going under uh, one by one because they can't meet the liquidity, uh, the withdrawal requirements of their clients who are moving their money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, actually put it into a bigger picture. Just last week, uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell told lawmakers that he planned to keep raising those interest rates. But many experts now say the SVB and signature bank collapse means the Fed will or may halt that interest rate trajectory. So what do you think? Right. I think, you know, Powell is really, you know, in a place between a hard place and a rock. Um, It is um, the dual mandate of the Fed to say that they would need to maintain price stability. And they believed uh, now this might be a misconception, I would argue, but the belief is that they would need to continue to hike the interest rate. Giving right now, um, as of February, inflation rate is running at 6% as opposed to be the 2% target. Job growth has been healthy. Uh, Jan, uh, February added another 311,000 jobs. So all these pointed to the direction that the Fed would have to keep its promise to continue to hike the rates um, to 50 basis points. Um, that's what, had, what they have been talking about. Uh, but now, definitely, as we see that interest rate increases would have significant ramifications um, for financial stability. So there's definitely... Um, the, 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 the reconsideration as to how much or if there's at all another rate hike. I think right now some of the experts estimate that they might still increase interest rate by 25 basis points, but definitely there's also the talk about it's time for them to stop. So I think that would be a very important, um, you know, next week we'll find out if the Fed is going to raise the interest rates or not. But I agree with what I know was talking about when you have just one very important uh, policy tool 
and yet you need to strike the three balances, right? Price stability, employment, full employment, and financial stability. It's a very difficult job to do, um, not to mention that financial regulation has been watering down um, since the passing of the Dodd-Frank uh, um, uh, Act um, of you know, 20, 2010. Usually, normally, right, these two banks, uh, Signature and also um, the SVB, would have been considered as systemically uh, significant financial institutions by the original you know, Dodd-Frank Act because their assets were over $50 billion. Mm. But because of a Trump's 2018 legislation, um, now to be considered as specific, right, the, the systematically important financial institutions, the asset threshold is, you know, 250 billion. So that basically, you know, leave these two banks out from heightened, you know, scrutiny. Now, arguably, these two banks still complying with all the liquidity and, you know, capital requirements. Uh, but still, I think any financial regulators going to examine the banks' books would find out the problems and could have prevented this from happening. Um, but lax regulation with over-reliance on interest rate to adjust the economy, I think that's a perfect recipe for problems. Mm. So, Aina, so what the Fed will do next? Will it continue to raise the interest rate to try to tame the inflation or will it try to boost confidence in the financial system? Well, sentiment on the street right now is that 55% think that it'll be a 25, uh, 25 basis points increase. 45% are saying that there's going to be no increase. I'm going to side with the uh, uh, 45%. There's no way that Powell can increase this without uh, adding more stress. As I said, you're about to see, a, if he increases it, you're going to see a cascade of small banks going under. And he will be blamed for it. He knows that he's reached the limit of what he can do. Uh, as Yen said, he has uh, three <laughs> three targets. He can only hit uh, a couple of them at a time. Uh, he has to draw back and uh, retrench. Um, this uh, this is seriously undermining everybody's confidence in mm -hmm. him. More importantly, there are consequences uh, for the U.S. So don't don't expect a, a rate increase. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, obviously, we still remember the 2008 and what turned into the global financial crisis and crash with the collapse of the two big Wall Street banks, first Bellstones and then Lehman Brothers, and then things flowed from there. So will this happen again? Well, how is this time different from 2008? I think, again, it remains to be seen um, if more banks would get into the same kind of problems. Um, there are definitely similarities um, as to, you know, with 2008, for example, um, the financial crisis in 2008 was triggered by 2006's Fed hiking interest rate. So it's sort of deja vu. Here we go again. We have aggressive interest rate hikes. Um, and again, banks have been taking on a lot of risks um, over the years. So it's, you know, definitely there are there are problems, um, but there are also, you know, differences. I think, yes, Bear Stern and Lehman Brothers, you know, they have multiple, uh, um, you know, much larger size of their assets, you know, 350 billion, 600 billion, uh, respectively. So they're much bigger than the current, uh, these two regional banks. Um, they also have a lot more interconnectedness uh, with other financial institutions. So when they fell, other banks also fell. Um, there are also a lot of opaque and also very toxic assets like the you know, mortgage-backed securities, the CDOs, the CDS, and, and you name it. So I think we're in a sort of different uh, situations right now that we don't have as many you know, sort of toxic assets that are widespread within the financial sectors. 
Um, but at the same time, I think we're facing you know similar difficulties, which is again we have a lot of corporate debt, and with rising interest rate, you know we we could easily see how the credit risk is going to play out um, if more you know companies fail or default that could cascade into the banking sector. Um, when you look at the mortgage you know sector, we still have the same problem. When you look at you know S and P and Case Shiller index, um, the housing price was totally overheated, way more than what we had uh, back in 2006. Uh, mortgage debt is also climbing very rapidly, you know, adding at least uh, two to three trillion dollars in terms of housing debt um, in the economy right now. So I think there are many things that could trigger a financial crisis. The question is, um, you know, are the regulators, are the policymakers able to, um, you know, set in some guardrail Right to prevent a massive, you know, banking or financial crisis from happening again. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, professor of economics, Willamette University, and also Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at China's job market. Stay with us. I am Dan Wang, chief economist of Hang Seng Bank China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. China is to pursue an employment-first strategy as human resources remain the nation's greatest strength. And this is according to Premier Li Qiang, addressing questions on China's demographics and employment outlook. The country expects a record number of new college graduates to enter the labor market this year. And meanwhile, China's population fell in the year 2022. So, Aina, first of all, do you think China's demographic dividend will be disappearing? Or do you think we should look at not just the quantity, but also the quality of the population? Well, you know, I've been singing that tune for quite a while. It's not necessarily about uh, the quantity. Uh, it's, it's, it is about quality. It's about preparing your workforce for the new economy that's coming. It's a digital economy. Things are going to be different. Uh, you know, we've talked about how many times have we said that, you know, the 50% of the jobs that exist today aren't going to be around in five to 10 years. There has to be a massive change over in how um, uh, companies are, uh, I mean, how people are employed. And that was going to take a lot, tremendous amount of education. And I think that's uh, where the, uh, the Chinese government is aiming. Uh, Li Chang made it very clear it's about talents, um, talents uh, and automation will allow you to actually decrease cost of living. And what I mean by that, if you have $100 and you're used to spending 20% on certain things, but you only have to spend 10% uh, for the same things, uh, at that juncture, you're in a very, very, very good position because you, in essence, increased your disposable income by $10. And the efficiency drive that uh, China is going on, the automation, uh, and, and remember, China still has significant pools of uh, labor that are available. 32% of uh, Chinese are involved in the rural community uh, economy. Um, in the US, it's two less than 2%. 
so there are real opportunities there. But going forward, it's about having the workforce that can respond to, uh, you know, the, the needs of China, which are in automation, uh, it's in technology, it's in reducing costs, um, the smaller footprints, ecological development, sustainable development. So uh, I, I do think that uh, I'm very, very confident that China's on the right course on this one. Mm. So, yeah, actually, business and factories in China depend heavily on a large workforce to keep them running. So do you think a shrinking labor force can be offset by technologies, the automation and artificial intelligence? Right. So I think according to, you know, the estimates of the current trend, uh, we will likely to see, you know, the Chinese population will fall below 700 million uh, by the end of the century and the labor force will be cut by half. So I would agree with Aina um, that, you know, also, as you said uh, in the question, which is, I think part of this will be offset by automation, by artificial intelligence, you know, by uh, higher labor productivity. So we actually don't need as many workers uh, to perform those industrial manufacturing jobs. Um, and we're likely to see that because, you know, again, when you just look at, for example, JD, right, they now can use robots to pack and shelf uh, products in the warehouse. They can have self-driving cars, uh, I mean, pretty soon, right, and the drones, right, to to replace delivery workers. So I do see that technology could really help to offset that. Um, but I think there could be also other, you know, um, remedies, um, such as do we want to extend the retirement age? Um, because right now, you know, China's pension age is relatively low by international standards. Right now it's 64 men, 55 for women. So if we gradually raise that retirement age, let's say to 65, um, then by 2030, they will add another 40 million people um, at, uh, you know, at work. Um, but again, this needs to be done in a sort of a more socially consen consensus way and, and try to make sure that we do it in the graduate process. Um, and I also agree with Aina that we could have some stru structural changes, um, move people out of agriculture and so on and so forth. Um, so I think the major challenge is, you know, how we be able to prepare the workforce, um, you know, between 2018 and third, 2030, um, it has been estimated, according to McKinsey, 30 percent of the Chinese workforce will need to change their occupations. So how do we design the labor market to allow for the kind of flexibility, how we redesign, you know, the hukou system um, and urban housing and public services and all of these? to facilitate the kind of changes? I think that is a very important question. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Beast Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.